0: They're big underdogs, um, but what they've done over the last couple of years gives you real belief that they have a chance today, which which seems a, an incredible thing
1: to say. This would not be a, a, a gigantic upset to me if, if Canada were to win or even get a draw. Yes, it's an upset for sure because Belgium's one of the best teams in the world and Canada's not close to that at this moment, but I think they can play with them.
0: 706 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford, Bruff, Sportsnet 650 and breath of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program, we are now in the midst of it. Peter Galindo is going to join us live from Qatar in just a moment here. Hour two of the program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle. You get paid, I don't know, I think I called it Vancouver.
2: Vancouver and recycling. A couple tough words in there for just, you, I'm tonight. Just slow down a I can't bit when I'm you t- do those
0: reads. I'm too excited. Are you drinking too much coffee? Maybe. I'm excited. And I didn't sleep at all. Uh, finally, it is time now for the Soccer Report, brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed Pro all the way. For this soccer report, we're going right to the heart of the action, live from Qatar. It is Sportsnet's Peter Galindo here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Peter. How are you?
3: Just like you, Mike, very, very excited after that scintillating Germany-Japan game. That was quite something.
0: I was going to ask you about the scene in Qatar to start, but we have to start with this result because it's huge. Uh, It was largely unexpected, at least from a sports book perspective, as the Japanese were pretty heavy underdogs there. Uh, I'm assuming you got to take the match in full, and I'm assuming there's a lot of buzz around Qatar right now. Uh, Walk the listeners through what it was like for one of the biggest upsets, although not the biggest, but one of the biggest upsets of this tournament so far.
3: For sure. And by the way, guys, sorry about the delay. It's been an issue in Qatar for the last couple of days. But anyway, we power on. Um, That was, in a word, it's almost... I'm kind of conflicted because I actually had Japan getting out of that group and Germany not. That's what I had predicted pretty much whatever anybody had asked me. Because when I watched this Japan team play even though they definitely have their moments where they kind of look a little frail or or certainly exposed, much like they were that entire first half, um, they they just have that ability to be able to to kind of pounce when you least expect it. And the changes they made in that second half were transformative um, because they were getting absolutely torn up down their right side. They take off Hiroki Sakai, their right back, and then pretty much immediately all the – all the positive uh, turnaround started to happen for them, and it's funny. I was actually, you know, preparing to leave for the stadium to go watch the Belgium Canada game, and right as the full time whistle went, uh, much like what happened yesterday when Saudi Arabia beat Argentina, the uh, media center here, everybody started applauding when uh, the full time whistle went, and Japan pulled off the victory, one that is going to have a pretty lasting impact in that group.
0: Yeah, so it's the the Japanese upsetting the Germans this morning, today, tonight, where you are. And then we hearken back to yesterday, maybe the biggest upset in World Cup group stage history, where Saudi Arabia does the business against Argentina. Now, uh, again, I will ask you about the the scene and the scenarios and the settings in Qatar in a moment, but given the last 24 to 48 hours, has the narrative really shifted to what a lot of my buddies are calling the, the The Wacky World Cup. The Winter World Cup has become a Wacky World Cup
3: with these results. I think so, and that, honestly, if you are Canadian, that is a positive thing um, for obvious reasons because that means that anything is possible. And this is one of the quirks about having a World Cup in November, December, because a lot of these European teams and even the likes of Brazil-Argentina, who have a lot of European-based players, because they were only together for basically a week, maybe even less than that, um, and some didn't even arrive to Doha until a few days ago, um, you you, you kind of see just how disjointed they are at times, or maybe not so much disjointed, but I guess just maybe how you you can basically see how, you know, very little time together again is, is kind of impacting them. And I find it curious that... Both Roberto Martinez and Jan Vertonghen in the press conferences yesterday had mentioned that this Canadian team really isn't like your typical national team. They play very much like a club team because they're so together. They have such a clear identity in how they want to play. Um, and curiously, actually, Yan Vertonghen praised Canada's defense and just how strong defensively they were, which is true because they were actually quite uh, stingy throughout qualifying, but it kind of goes to show you that I I think just based on everything that's happened for the last couple of days, Belgium is very, very cautious, especially considering that they did lose to Egypt in a pre-World Cup friendly just before this.
0: Uh, I do. We'll continue the uh, Canadian-Belgium conversation here in a moment, but I do want to get your thoughts and reactions. I know you've been on the boots on the ground in Qatar for a few days now. And the tournament started, I think, as a lot of people expected it to. There was a lot of criticisms. There was a lot of focus on uh, the human rights violations and the new build, this this country that seemingly grow, grew over the last... Uh, few years with all the construction with regards to accommodations and venues and then the matches take place and those as always this is with the Olympics too. the sport eventually does take over it starts to dominate the narratives but so give us a a sense of what your experience has been like in Qatar this for this very unique World Cup in a very unique part of the world for football to go Uh, what's it been like for you so far.
3: Well, obviously with the caveat that I have at times been in a bit of a bubble. Um, I, the one or two times I have been able to kind of branch out and explore the city, you, you can definitely tell that there is a World Cup here because there are people from all over the world. Um, and, and everybody's been very friendly to each other, sure. the locals, the, the traveling fans. Um, all the volunteers have done a terrific job um, organizing this tournament because, you know, I think one of the... The interesting side of this is because everything is so close together, really the furthest trip you have to take outside of Doha is maybe about 45 minutes to an hour by bus or car. Um, It almost gives it that like convention feel because you're constantly on the go somewhere. Um, But no doubt about it, when you drive through certain parts of Doha, you realize that this is very much a recently constructed city. A lot of desert in certain parts, um, very little phone service, if at all. Um and definitely you, you you get that little bit of an uneasy feeling when you walk into these you know magnificent structures, you know stadiums the the national convention center, where the media center is, uh, even the metro system here, and you, you just kind of think, well, you know as, as nice as it is, you know people had to pay the the ultimate sacrifice in order for all of this to become a reality, and then you kind of get a little bit of that uneasy feeling in your stomach. Um, but I mean, so far, you know, you you really can have no complaints about how the tournament's been organized, but you can definitely have complaints about how it kind of all came together and and, and the fact that it actually is still happening, which is quite crazy to think based on the fact that in 2010, we kind of thought, okay, there's no way they're actually going to go through with this. And sure enough, they have gone through with it. Yeah. Um, Turning to
2: Canada's group. Uh, Morocco and Croatia drew nil nil this morning. How did that game play out, and what does that result mean for
3: Canada? I think you saw two of the faster teams in this group. I think Canada's probably up there as well, but I would say Morocco and Croatia were two of the more fluid, fast teams in this group. And it was just a very frenetic game. You know, sure, some people thought it was a bit of a, of a snooze fest. I thought it was. It was actually quite entertaining and end-to-end and and fascinating how both of those teams kind of canceled each other out because, you know, Croatia at the beginning were quite eager to kind of get forward and, and try to hit Morocco in transition, but Morocco was just so organized off the ball that they couldn't really get any space, whether it was out wide or in the center. And then Croatia was almost quite patient in those transitional moments and let Morocco get back into their shape and kind of started to try and break them down with just their midfield superiority. And it didn't work. Um, so I think that there were a couple of lessons from a Canadian perspective to learn. Number one, um, watch for Atraf Hakimi, because he is very fast. I don't think anybody who knows him is going to be surprised by that, but um, the Moroccan right back is very clearly the driving force of that team. Sophia Namrabat, who played in the heart of the midfield for Morocco, was just snuffing out all the danger centrally and was integral to what was a magnificent defensive performance. And then for Croatia, um, They're going to be a team that I think is going to dominate a lot of possession, but maybe won't necessarily take every opportunity to hit you on the break. So I I suppose from a Canadian point of view, that's good because you don't have the quickest centre-backs. So Mm. if Croatia ends up going that route, I think that is a positive for the likes of Stephen Vittoria and probably Kamal Miller as well. We're
0: speaking to Sportsnet's Peter Galindo, live from Qatar here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, back to Canada, Belgium, as we uh, look ahead to today's match. Uh, We're just a few hours away from the match actually kicking off, which means we're less than a few hours away from the lineups being revealed. Are you expecting any surprises with John Herdman's starting 11? He's been pretty traditional in the guys that he started and the formation he started them in. Mm And he's got a full and healthy squad available for selection. Uh, any surprises, any wrinkles that you might see from what Herman traditionally does?
3: Well, I think the fact that a lot of us media members are going with the same projected 11, um, I don't think there's too much surprise expected. So I basically just to kind of run through it, I expect Milan Borian in goal as usual, Alistair Johnson, Stephen Vittoria, Kamal Miller to make up that back three in possession, then you're going to have a bank of four from starting from Tejon Buchanan, Atiba Hutchinson, Stefan Oshchakio, Sam Atakubi, Junior Hoylett just in front of that bank of four, kind of playing in a free role. Then you're going to have Davies and David. So very similar to what we saw against Japan. The only difference is being of course Davies and Oshchakio coming in for Laren and Piet. And I know it sounds crazy to think that Kyle Laren might not start because he is the men's national team's all-time leading scorer, but. He hasn't played a lot for Club Bruges more than anybody that I've really watched over the last couple of years. He really seems to struggle technique wise. When he doesn't play a lot, he has heavier touches. He's a lot more indecisive, especially around the box. So I think that might be the, the play to go with here. I could also see, you know, Laren retaining his place. I suppose that there is a surprise and then maybe Hoylett getting dropped. But I think just how integral Hoylett is to helping Canada transition the other way. And what I mean by that is when teams try to press Canada and they manage to get the ball past that initial line of engagement, the, the, the forwards of the opposing team, Hoyland kind of drops into that pocket, collects the ball, weaves his way through that pressure, and then is able to get free and then progress it to the forwards. So more than anybody else, I think he's going to be integral in games like this, and that's why John Herman has leaned on him so much in marquee games.
2: Peter, if this were a traditional David versus Goliath soccer match, you'd be like, okay, well, the David parks the bus and tries to get out of there with a nil-nil draw, or maybe, you know, they only take some chances if Goliath goes up by one, right? Or or two. Then they go, okay, well, mm-hmm. we have no no choice here. Is that necessarily going to be the case with Canada? Because I feel like for this team, the way it's constructed where the talent is that it's not a parking the bus type of team?
3: No, and I think John Herman has said as much that they're pretty much not going to deviate from how they play. And sure, there are going to be some situations where they might have to change things up, like say, you know, Belgium's just completely, you know, knocking the doors off of them and are getting, you know, two or three clear cut chances that maybe they try to sit back a bit similar to what we saw in that U S Canada game in Nashville last September, when the U S kind of had a lot of control in that first half. So Canada sort of seeded the initiative and then tried to hit them in transition, not just similar to what we saw Wales do against the U S in, in that world cup opener for those two teams. Um, that could be a possible tweak that we see, but look, Belgium is very aware of the threat Canada poses in those transitional moments so I think I mentioned it on the the show a couple of times guys but don't be surprised if Belgium kind of sits back and dares Canada to break them down just so that they aren't exposed because that defense of Belgium is quite slow Mm -hmm. and they are definitely wary of the speed that Davies and Buchanan and Hoylet and, and David have so would not be surprised if we see quite the chess match here, just in terms of how both teams approach the game at different times.
2: Handicap Canada's chances of scoring a goal in this match.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think it's actually you know crazy high odds. I, I, I would probably say it's like three four to one probably if if I, if I were to give betting odds. Um, and quite frankly, Belgium in that Egypt game, and I understand that the stakes were a lot lower but they were playing with a very high line for a team that doesn't have a lot of pace back there. Um, That's what they tend to do whenever they dominate possession. And as soon as Egypt was able to bypass their high press, there was tons of space to exploit in behind. So if, if the likes of of, of Trezeguet for Egypt can exploit that Belgian backline, you imagine Davies and Buchanan and David are going to be able to do the exact same thing. So I, I, do fully expect them to get a goal and you know what while we're kind of shooting for the stars you're probably even a result against one of these two european teams
0: you know there's something to be buoyed by with regards to what's happened already yes there's been these two fairly significant upsets i'm not putting japan beating germany on the same plane as saudi arabia beating um, Mm -hmm. argentina but they're both upsets at least in terms of the the betting favorites Um, it's that both of the two sides japan and saudi arabia were able to rally from a goal down against a superior opponent and not just draw even in the match, but win it. Mm -hmm. And fairly well deep into the second half in both instances. You know, we talk about the Wacky World Cup and all these things that are going on early. It has been a trend thus far that, you know, the the traditional, what Jason was talking about, getting that goal, parking the bus and playing for the victory. It seems as though it's becoming more difficult. I don't know if it's because of the heat. I don't know if it's because teams are tiring or if the attacks are that much more sophisticated, but it does not seem like a death march now. I mean, look at France yesterday, conceded early against uh, Australia, no problem whatsoever, and then went about scoring four on the, on the road to an easy victory. I do wonder if maybe we're going to get an instance where even if Canada doesn't get off to a great start or does concede early, they've got the ability and the attacking ability to maybe have one of these results go in their favor. And it's not going to be a park the bus type scenario from either side.
3: And I suppose a argument for that argument, I guess, uh, or sorry, a, a point for that argument, I guess, is the fact that Canada did go down early against Japan Yes, again, in a friendly against, you know, only half of their starters. But and then came back and won two to one in the end. They were able to show that, you know, trademark result that they've had over the last couple of years. And, you know, they made the necessary substitutions to get that result in the end, when it maybe didn't look like it was still there to be had. Um, And I, I, I suppose as well, when you look at the conditions weather wise, when it gets dark here in Doha, it is actually quite chilly. Like there are times when I'm wearing short sleeves and I'm like, you know what? I could probably put on a sweater or a jacket here. Cause it, it does get quite windy and, and, and cold. So I think that also helps these teams because inside the stadiums as well, there's air conditioning, despite the fact that it is maybe feeling like 20, 21 degrees outside. So th- that might actually help a lot of these teams in terms of their energy levels. Plus the fact that it is in the middle of the European season. So they're not quite exhausted yet. Even if we have seen probably a few more, you know, devastating injuries than, than we usually have. But th- that could honestly play into Canada's hands too. Just the fact that th- th- they will have a little bit more youth on their side. They will have, you know, not as much you know, exhausting conditions to deal with. So maybe they couldn't keep up a little bit with, with Belgium if they try to pick up the pace, as we saw in, against Japan, because that was a, a game played at a high pace as well. And they were able to cope and thrive in it.
2: Hey, Peter, how many uh, Canadian supporters have you seen around, and how many do you expect at the match today?
3: I've seen a few more today. Um, I'd say around a dozen uh, walking around the city, and then um, in the metro system as well. There are apparently 25,000 Canadians in Doha right now. Now, I'm not sure all of them have tickets, but the fact that 25,000 have come supposedly that probably means that there's going to be a you know fairly sizable minority of, of fans inside stadium tonight, I would imagine. Um, and you know what? If they get a victory uh, or, or even get a point, I could see a lot of neutrals starting to pull for Canada here. Because it, it seems like everybody you talk to, whenever I mention I'm from Canada, they all say that they have some sort of a connection, whether it's, oh, I have a brother who lives in you know, Montreal or, you know, I, I spent some, some time in Vancouver when, when I was younger and I loved it, and, you know, mm-hmm. whatever else. So like Canada's almost become like kind of a second team in a lot of ways for some people, which, uh, you know, is, is, is quite heartwarming and also, uh, you know, maybe could make them one of the stories of the tournament, too.
2: Everyone loves Canada, right? Come yeah. on, we're, we're
0: good guys. We could be your we're number two guys. team. That's That should be the, on the shirts. Canada, we're your second favorite team. Okay, Peter, we got to go. Uh, this has been great. Thank you very much for jo- joining us. I don't need to tell you to enjoy the match tonight. I know that you will. Uh, we'll do this again later on this week ahead of the Croatia match, hopefully. So, uh, once again, thanks, and enjoy today.
3: Yep, yeah, sounds good, guys. You as well. Enjoy.
0: Thanks. That's Peter Galindo from Sportsnet, live from Qatar here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I've got a feeling that we've set some sort of unofficial record for the most uh, international football talk ever in the history of Vancouver Sports Talk Radio.
2: Yeah, that's fine. I'm not going to apologize for I don't, We don't need to apologize for anything. Awesome. I'm, I'm I think it's into, awesome. I'm leaning into it heavy. It's just it's yeah.
0: funny because I keep looking up. We've got a big sign in here that says Sportsnet 650 Vancouver, home of the Canucks. The Canucks play tonight. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, they play the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche. It's a big game on the calendar. And I am all about Canada, Belgium. 11 a.m. kickoff. A reminder, uh, if you would like to go to our watch party today, it's in conjunction with Daily Hive and the Vancouver Whitecaps and the Hollywood Theatre. It is at the Hollywood Theatre, one, which is on Broadway in in Kitsilano. Uh, Two, tickets are going to be made available to the general public today. A handful of them, about 75, will be made available at 9 a.m. You can get them via Show Pass. If you go to the Hollywood Theater website or the Whitecaps website or the Daily Hive website, they've got links to get them. We are also going to give away a four-pack of tickets to the event today. If you've got a chance to get out of work or school or whatever obligation you have at 11 a.m. and you want to come watch at the live watch party, get a What We Learned in. Hashtag it WWL, text it to 650-650, and put a ticket emoji in. Chance to win four tickets to go see our watch party, Canada-Belgium, 11 o'clock from the Hollywood Theatre.
2: We're going to talk to Connor McGahey next uh, to get a preview of the Colorado Avalanche, the defending Stanley Cup champs, but a team that is dealing with some significant injury issues. You're listening to the Alfred and Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650
0: traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol.
1: On his forehand, down low, Ranton, and an escape out in front. McCarr, a one-timer. He scores! Oh, hail hail! And there's a new NHL record. Kale McCarr is the fastest defenseman in NHL history to 200 points.
0: 732 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, hour two of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Laddie, you just rattled off the names that Kale McCarter toppled to become the fastest mm-hmm. defenseman in NHL history to get to 200 points. Rattle those off again for me. It's a
3: decent little list. Uh, some guy by the name of Bobby Orr He's you may good. have heard of. He Brian Leach.
0: He was also good. Phil
3: Housley and Sergei Zubov.
0: Those guys <laughs> aren't even that good. Pretty decent company to hold, but he doesn't even have company with him. Yeah. He has surpassed all of them. Uh, the guy on that call, we've got him next. Connor McGehee, play-by-play voice of the Colorado Avalanche, joins us now on the Halford & Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Connor. How are you?
1: Good, fellas. How are you guys?
0: We're good, thanks. You know, I noticed that you tweeted out. He retweeted that he was going to appear on Sportsnet 650 with Halford and Bruff, And then you wrote... Everyone else was busy. Of course not, Connor. You were our number one choice. You were first on the list to get on to talk about this game tonight. Is that right?
2: Well, yeah. Plus, well, we, plus, we, plus we plus we get there. to talk about Russell Wilson. Yeah, it's true.
0: Actually, <laughs> Kale McCarr was number one on the list. He's not returning our calls right now, so you're number two, but number one in the in the announcer game.
1: Uh, let's. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say Kale should be your first call, hundred percent.
0: How much fun has it been to watch him really throughout his entire career, but this year because they've had to rely on him quite heavily with all the injuries that they've had. I think he played upwards of 32 minutes in a game not too long ago, and he's just been so fantastic to watch, so much fun to watch. must be fun to call his games on a near-nightly basis.
1: Oh, yeah, it makes my job very easy Um, when you have a talent like that. Um, His last two goals, because he was sitting on 199, and kind of a similar thing, a power play goal from the circle. <clears throat> Excuse me, and um, just a one timer, perfectly placed shot. But it's not just the offense. I mean, everything that he does out there. Um, I mean, he's, he's time on ice leader in the NHL. I mean, he's he's played over uh, a half hour in in, in in two games this week, and that's just sort of how it's going to be for Kale McCarr. Especially when you don't have Sam Girard, Paul Byram, not in the lineup at the moment, and. It goes back to the question where everyone asks, well, where does Kael McCarr go from here? Because he has the Hobie Baker, the Calder, the Norris, the Conn Smythe, obviously the Stanley Cup. And my answer has been that it's not in the trophy case. It's on the ice with playing long periods of time, different situations, impact situations, and he's there. I mean, you're talking about the famous list that he's on. I mean, there are three defensemen in NHL history that have averaged a point per game. Bobby Orr, Paul Coffey, and Kale McCarr and McCarr is the, the only defenseman to get to 200 points in under 200 games, everyone uh, had to do at least two 17 plus. So um, to, to say the least, it has been enjoyable and, uh, and, and frankly historic because all the names that we rattle off, I mean, at some point Kale is going to be just on that list with all those other guys.
2: The season started for the ABS, and it was already going to be a bit of a challenge uh, without Nazem Kadri, who departed in free agency. Uh, and now the injuries have really started to pile up. I guess they started piling up early on in the season. Landeskog out for a while. Nechushkin, Bowen Byram, Sam Gerard, the last two who you already mentioned. How have the ABS handled
1: these uh,
2: injuries, and when are they expected to get healthy?
1: Well, I, I think that uh, Nichushkin, So Nachushkin was you – know, it's going to be a month for him. We came back from Finland uh, playing those two games uh first couple of days in November, and he went out for a, a twirl in the first game and warm-up couldn't go. Um, he went full practice when we were in Helsinki a couple of days before that. Um, but something just wasn't right, so he had uh, ankle surgery the Monday after we got back, and they said it was going to be about a month for him. And 12 weeks for Landis God from the beginning of the season. So some math puts that in the new year. I mean, there, there's hope that maybe he could be back by Christmas, same time as Valerie Echushkin. So uh, Jared Bednar is saying the last couple of days that Sam Gerrard might be, might be a possibility for tonight versus Vancouver, but um, hasn't gotten a chance to, to, to practice with the team. He's been, skating while we've been away on a, on a three-game trip, uh, and then there's no update yet on Bo Byram or, or the return of Darren Helm, who's the other the other name on that list, too, because you could take Lannis Gognachushkin, Helm, Byram, and, and Sam Gerard. It's a pretty decent starting five there for Colorado, but they've been able to go down the list and, and start to get back to their defensive identity that won them the Cup last year. Um, we were in Washington on Saturday, and one of the one of the Caps crew saw us afterwards and they said, wow, you guys definitely can play both sides of the puck. And that wasn't the case earlier. Um, but the Avalanche have, have put more of an emphasis on, on playing good defensive hockey and that's turned into scoring opportunities. Now you've got a seven game point streak from Arturi Lekinen. Uh Kim McCarr has been doing what he's been doing. Nico Rantanen uh, had a six game point streak going as well. Nathan McKinnon uh, tops in the leagues as a playmaker. So the big boys have really stepped up, and then you started to get Alex Newhook going. He's he's probably been a, one of the second hottest goal scorers here. Uh, a lot of pressure has been on him to to fill the shoes of Nas and Kadri. So it, it's been by committee for sure, but it's 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 the team getting back to their defensive identity that was so key, and then winning the cup in June.
2: When did that uh, realization that we're going to have to learn how to win those? Two one games as well as the wild mm. games. I mean, they, they listen. They played some wild games in the playoffs last year. They had an eight six game yeah. against Edmonton. They had a six five game against the Oilers. So it's not like the Avs have turned into like the '90s New Jersey Devils or anything like that. They're not. They're not trapping it up. And you still watch them play, and you're like, this is exciting. This is exciting offensive hockey. But uh, being able to win those two to one games. That's something we've heard about the Tampa Bay lightning before they won the Stanley cup, that they're going to have to be able to win those types of games too. When did that start for this abs team?
1: I think you might even go, I mean, cause everyone likes to talk about the offense with this team always has. Um, but you might even have to go back to two years ago in that series versus Vegas and where you're up to nothing, but then you, you couldn't hold the lead to save your life. Um, you're just a couple of minutes away from a win in game three in Vegas. And that would definitely put you in the driver's seat to to win and then go on and, and play what would likely be the Montreal Canadiens. But defending a lead was a problem for this team. And uh, I think that really came into the spotlight a, as early as then. I know that it, it's been a, a Jared Bednar uh, staple ever since, you know, he's been in the East Coast Hockey League. Um, winning a Kelly Cup there winning a Calder cup in, uh, in the AHL as well with the Lake Erie monsters, you know, his modus operandi, it's Latin, uh, has been <laughs> defense leads to offensive opportunities and we'll reference that a moment ago. But I think that Colorado's ability to not only defend a lead, but to come back if necessary, um, really stems from stingy defensive play. And that's where, uh, I could even fast forward a little bit into the acquisition of Andrew Cogliano at the trade deadline last year. That's exactly the type of player just like Logan O'Connor is where you got no room. It's not, it's not boring hockey to watch either. It's just difficult to play against. And I think that they needed to change their mental space or philosophy um, after that, that six game loss to the Vegas Golden Knights and, they didn't win the president's trophy, which isn't the worst thing in the world. I went to Florida, but, but it, it really was puck possession and, and the ability to to apply pressure really at every, at every position for the opposite team, especially the defenseman, to try and get the puck back. So um, I, I think really the big switch was, was flipped before last season began.
2: Uh, if you could do us a favor and just collect all those notes on how to defend a lead, put them in an envelope and ship them to Rogers arena in Vancouver. I can follow up with the exact address. It is, it is incredible that I I bet all our listeners perked up when you said the Avs had to learn how to defend a lead. I don't know if you've heard the Canucks have had slight issues with the lead. They've already blown seven multi-goal lead this season, which is, which is incredible. And, we have this debate here on whether it's systems like coaching or if it's personnel or it's a bit of both. Um Jared Bednar's system, what how would you describe it? Does he let them play or is he actually does he actually preach a pretty strict structure?
1: I I think it's the perfect combination of both, if if that makes sense. Because I think that they, they look at a ton of video. He talks about video all the time and different situations of if the puck is here along the wall, where should this forward be? Where should this defenseman be? Um, but at the same time, I think the, the thing that the Avalanche have the advantage maybe over a- anybody else in the National Hockey League is a defenseman because all of a sudden both or one if not both defensemen on the ice at the same time can turn into a forward. I mean, I counted three times in the game versus Dallas two nights ago that Josh Manson was leading a rush up the ice on a three-on-two, and that's the carte blanche that they get. And I've asked Jared Bednar the question before: Do they get the green light? He goes, "It's not a, it's not a green light. It's, it's the, it's the attitude that if the puck is in our possession, then we go on the attack, and it doesn't matter if it's." Eric Johnson. It doesn't matter if it's Josh Manson. It doesn't matter if it's Gil McCar. If we have an opportunity to attack, we do it. And you dig the puck out, you get it back. We're in control, and it doesn't matter the personnel. So I think it's it's a little bit of X's and O's on along the boards in the corner. Where is everybody to get the? Uh, it's not exactly bones. It's more like cartilage, so it's it's more flexible. Uh, and, and that can, can spring everybody forward in, into the attack because, like I said, this team is based around puck possession, and it's not a, a rush team all the time. I mean, granted, it's the number one power play in the National Hockey League. A lot of goals come from there, but when you're talking about five-on-five five opportunities, it is it is defend first, attack second, but those have to come very swiftly, and that's that's what makes them so hard to defend, I think, because that transition from oh, we lost the puck if you're the other team, and now we have to defend pretty much five forwards on the ice at all times. That's what makes it so difficult.
0: Uh, It probably has to be said that part of having the ability to defend leads is having very good goaltending, and the Avs have gotten that so far with Pavel François and Alexander Georgiev. Two-parter for you, Connor, before we let you go. One, just how good has this goaltending tandem been for Colorado this year? And two, who do you predict will be starting tonight against the Canucks?
1: Uh, it has been excellent to answer part one, uh, and everyone. There was a lot of trepidation before the season began about about where they would be, and I said that look, your goaltending situation is going to be better this year than it was last year. Darcy Kemper wasn't bad, but uh, but uh, the Avs were able to win because they were that good. Georgiev has come in and. Uh, he, he gets his first shutout of the season for nothing to Washington the other night. He's 2-0 in, in the shootout this year, including one of the best games of the year is the Avs visited the, um, the the New York Rangers, his former team, and he deserved to be a number one. He is a number one, and Pavel Fransos has come in, and, and he beat the, the Wiley Carolina Hurricanes twice in the week this week. And so you've got maybe the most underrated goalie tandem in the league at this point, and it's just been as solid as you can ask for uh, for the, for the abs no real muffins given up and that's all you can ask when it comes to your goaltending and to be honest I don't know I would think so yes um uh especially with the back to back coming up this weekend at Nashville on Friday at home versus Dallas but that was going to win or he's going to start one of those so uh, I I would think Georgiev tonight but we'll see
0: Connor, thanks a lot for doing this today, man. We really appreciate it. Have a good call tonight. Enjoy the game. I'm sure we'll be doing this again later in the season, next time that the Canucks take on the abs.
1: Hope so, boys. Thank you.
0: Thanks. Have a good one. That's Connor McGee, he play-by-play voice of the Colorado Avalanche here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.
2: So Connor is also the um, in-stadium voice of the Denver Broncos. He's a PA announcer, at mile yeah, high. And we've uh, kind of poked fun at... Russell Wilson before. We didn't want to do it today because it's it was sad now. too much. It's sad. Have you been following on Twitter or social media or TikTok or whatever, wherever the kids are? Okay. This guy who has been tracking whether or not Russell Wilson is going to throw more touchdowns this season than him and Sierra have bathrooms in
0: their house i've heard about this i haven't watched the guy's content uh i've just seen it referenced in numerous places how Mm -hmm. many bathrooms do they have again they have 12 so here's the
3: latest update hey we've got big news in the tracking how long it takes russell wilson to throw as many touchdown passes as he has bathrooms in his house saga today was week 11 and russell wilson played the raiders he did not have any touchdown passes This means that his total on the season will remain at seven touchdown passes. Meanwhile, at his and Sierra's home, they also did not add or remove any bathrooms. This means that that number also stayed the same at 12. Bathrooms are growing ever more confident by the day that they have this season on lock. Congratulations, bathrooms, on a great week.
2: I hope, Russ, uh, I hope Russ gets wind of this I and hope, yeah. starts, like, taking out bathrooms of the house. I could see him doing it.
3: In fairness, I have not thrown more touchdown passes than
0: I have bathrooms. How many bathrooms um, do you have, Laddie? I also I have, have 12. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. no, Are we counting he... the buckets? Yeah. I, he, he'll start calling himself Mr. Renovations, and there'll be, like, little TikTok videos of him and Sierra in work belts and hard hats <laughs> just removing <laughs> bathrooms, playing along, funny the um, What a disastrous season. What a disastrous season. I it's I mean, don't get me wrong. The first season could have gone worse. yeah They could have lost more games. Russell Wilson could have been injured for the entire year. But to be honest, I think actually having it play out in real time with Russ healthy and under center. Now he's not 100% healthy. He's got the hamstring issue. It actually does in a way make it worse because what you're seeing is a very terrifying proof of concept mm-hmm. that the Seahawks were right and the Broncos were wrong. The Seahawks were right in saying, there's enough red flags here about his lack of mobility and, quite frankly, lack of ability that we're ready to cut ties. And from the Broncos' side of things, it's, oh, my God, not only did we pay huge draft capital to get Russell Wilson,
2: we also handed him a mega extension. Yeah, and and, and it's just a terrible feeling. I, I cannot relate to this, but it must be a terrible feeling to have a team that has these contracts that you just – you just can't get rid of, and you just got this this anchor mm-hmm. around the franchise. That's you why, know? It's like a it's unique just, experience. I don't, I I can't relate to it in any way. I don't know how it feels. My heart goes out to the Broncos because it must it must feel to them that they're just like they're stuck. Mm -hmm. with this player and this player is costing so much uh, against the salary cap, you know, and why did they make this decision? Why don't, don't they realize that as professional athletes get older, you know, especially into their thirties and they've got a lot of wear on their, on their bodies, sometimes even, even good players, their, their play breaks down again. I don't know how to relate this to anything that I watch, but it must be very frustrating for the Broncos.
0: I can only imagine how frustrating that is to give a long-term contract to a guy on the wrong side of 30. I can only
2: imagine. You know what's really exciting uh, about our show? We have now shifted from why are you talking about soccer to getting texts like this into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Mike the teacher. I don't mean to be that why aren't you talking about guy. And I know you probably already have, but why are we not talking about Canada, Belgium?
0: Okay, well, we'll do that right now because it is time for another soccer report brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. We're 10 minutes away now from uh, Canada's CONCACAF brother, one of them, Costa Rica, who will kick off their World Cup at 8 a.m against Spain. Now, it's actually been a pretty decent tournament for CONCACAF thus far. Uh all draws so far, right? The US drew with Wales. I think that would ultimately be a disappointment for the US given how that match went. Very good in the first yeah. 45 got out to a 1-0 so lead. Uh but it's still it's not a loss, right? So that's a good thing. You you, you remain competitive with a draw in the group stage. Mexico drew 0-0 with Poland. In a game that I think a lot of people kind of had earmarked or penciled as a potential draw because two pretty evenly matched opponents, at least in terms of their FIFA rankings. But Mexico really stole a point there when they had a penalty save in the second half, Ochoa stopping Lewandowski. So you get the third and fourth CONCACAF participants playing today. Costa Rica followed by Canada it would be great for the region if all four could get through their first matches undefeated. Because you've obviously got the two draws with Mexico and the U.S. holding up their end of the bargain.
2: You know what I'd like to see today? What's that? Canada and Belgium finish in a nil-nil draw, and all the soccer fans, the hardcore soccer fans, are like, "That's amazing! What an incredible result!" And like the, the final whistle goes, and like nil-nil against Belgium, and kind of the casual fans or even the people that still uh, don't really like soccer, just like. I don't know. I, I I hate this sport so much. Yeah. Did anything actually just happen over the last 90
0: minutes? Nobody scores. Why are you booing? There's no cuz that is one of the sad things about it is you can watch you can invest 90 plus minutes of time where there's no goal and no winner.
2: Yeah. But there's but, nothing decided. Okay, if, Canada draws nil-nil with Belgium. Happy. You're, you're over the moon. Yeah. You're over the moon. Yeah,
0: it's a terrific result for Canada.
2: If you can hold. Greatest result in men's Soccer history in Canada, nil-nil draw with Belgium. Well, it would be because it would be their first ever point in a World Cup. What Cop? happens if
0: all three of their games are nil-nil? Oh, that's something.
2: Then what happens? How do they... <sighs> Do well, do they get out of the group? Well, i they get I'm, out of the group? There's a chance for well, one more chance to score a goal.
0: I don't think they can get out of the group. I'm asking. I don't. Goal. I don't know the. I don't know the answer. Um, I'm curious. Your Your question uh, upsets me, yet also intrigues <laughs> no, me. I'm just curious. What yeah. happens? What? How do <laughs> they? How do they decide? Like it's infuriating, yet intriguing. <laughs> I would be a disappointment because they would go, would have gone an entire tournament without scoring a goal, undefeated yeah. though. But also undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> but better than Argentina.
2: Better than Germany. But
0: they're out of the World Cup. they didn't lose a single game. It's a tough one. You know what? I choose not to answer your question. That's how I'm going to go with that one. Uh, What a soccer report that was brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed pro all the way. So I'll set up the remainder of the morning here. We got one hour left on the quote-unquote traditional Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Murph's going to join us at 8 o'clock. At eight thirty, we're gonna do what we learns. We're gonna give away a four pack of tickets to see Canada Belgium, not live from Qatar. You probably won't make it there in time, but from the Hollywood Theater, where we're gonna be doing our watch party. Get a what we learned in. What did you learn over the last twenty four hours in sports? Hashtag it WWL, uh, and then also add the ticket emoji, and we'll get the tickets to you. Best what we learned. Get some. And a reminder, another reminder. At nine o'clock this morning, as I continue to set things up. A limited amount of tickets are going to be made made available to the general public for the watch party. 9 o'clock, go to ShowPass, go to the Hollywood Theater website, Whitecaps, Daily Hive. They'll all have links to ShowPass. Again, a select amount of tickets are going to be made available to the general public at 9 a.m. this morning. Finally, finally, at 10 a.m. this morning, Breff and I back on the air. This time, it's across the Sportsnet radio networks. We're going Canada-wide. Jason's wearing his Canada jacket. Fortunately, there won't be cameras at the Hollywood Theater. We're going to do a live one-hour pre-match show. Me, Bruff, Dan Riccio is going to join us. John is going to join us. The oh, third, nice. the, th- the third leading goal scorer all time for the Canadian men's national team is going to join us. Carisdale guy. Jason Bruff and John Catliff yeah. are the two greatest Carisdale youth soccer products ever, and you mm-hmm. guys are going to be joining joining forces at one table. Yeah, the soccer prowess it'll mm-hmm. burst at the seams. It'll be flowing Jason out the door. Jason,
2: Captain Canada, Bruff, remember? That's right. That's you're going to be wearing your jacket. We're just going to be like, what do you think about Dunbar? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, the conversation is going to very much veer into uh, Westside Vancouver snobbery, which is going to be great for all of our listeners, coast we're, to coast. Were you a Minerva's guy or a Georgia's Pizza guy? Get this out of your system now, because if you do this on the show, that's <laughs> in airing, yeah, airing in Toronto, they and literally cut it off the air, just yeah. it'll be dead. So uh, when you hear the voices at ten o'clock, it is not the best of. No, it's going to be live, live Calbro. It's called the uh, the Sportsnet Soccer Show. The most generic title we could give it for legal reasons, the Sportsnet Soccer Show. It's about some event that takes place around the world. Who's to say where and who's to say what? Yes. This show is just about soccer on Sportsnet. So the Halford and Bruff Sportsnet Soccer Show is going to go from 10 to 11. Uh, Dan Riccio is going to join us for some analysis. John Catlett's going to join us, Tableside. That's all from the Hollywood Theater. And then at 11 o'clock, of course, it's the watch party for Canada and Belgium. What an awesome day. Super excited. We got one more hour to go here. Dan Murphy's going to join us on the other side on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.